So yesterday morning, as I was getting ready for the day, my son Judah came in. He saw me getting ready, and he said, Dad, are you going anywhere today? And I said, yeah. He then replied back to me. He said, well, where are you going? And I told him what I usually tell my kids when they ask me, or they ask me where I'm going. I said, well, I'm going crazy. <laughs> but then Judah, without missing a beat, he replied back to me. He said, well, wherever you're going crazy, can I come with you? <laughs> wherever you're going crazy, can I come with you? I love my son Judah's desire to be with me. It doesn't matter where I'm going or what I'm doing. Even if I'm going crazy, all that he really wants to do is to be with me. He's become my little shadow. He follows me. He watches me. He mimics me. He goes wherever I go, even if I am going just a little bit crazy. Today we begin really part three of our three-part series on following Jesus in a fallen world. And if you will remember part one, we went through the Upper Room Discourse in the Gospel of John as we saw Jesus' marching orders to us as we follow him in a fallen world. Then part two, we went through the series in Lamentations where we looked specifically at the importance of repentance in our own life as we follow Jesus in a fallen world and praise the Lord, that series is over. But today begins the third part of this three-part series where we will see what we should expect as we travel along the way through the Gospel of Mark as we follow Jesus in a fallen world. And throughout this series in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus takes his disciples on a journey along the way, which is a repeated phrase. And at times, where Jesus is taking his disciples seems just a little bit crazy. Jesus asks his disciples to go places and to do things that from a worldly perspective seem outright crazy. But the question I have for you this morning as we begin this series is, are you ready to follow him? Even if what he asks is a bit crazy, wherever you're going, Lord, can we go with you? I want to invite you to open your Bible up to the Gospel of Mark, and as you're turning to the Gospel of Mark, I want to highlight just a few kind of introductory concerns that we need to think about as we begin this series in the Gospel of Mark. The first one is who wrote this book? Uh, the man who wrote the Gospel of Mark, it's actually John Mark, who we read about in the Gospel of Acts. Uh, we read about his story in the Gospel of Acts as really the Apostle Peter and Barnabas split over the issue of whether or not to take John Mark along with them. And John Mark, early on in the Apostle Paul's ministry, he, he kind of bowed out. So you can say he didn't really begin well. But thankfully, church history tells us that he finished well. In fact, in the scripture, we see Paul himself desires to see John Mark. And then church history tells us that John Mark became really the right-hand man or the assistant of the Apostle Peter. 
And so the information that John Mark gathered to put together this gospel, we believe, came primarily from the Apostle Peter directly. And that then brings me to the second introductory question I want to highlight for just a moment, and that is why was this gospel written? Why did John Mark write the gospel of Mark? And again, to answer that, we need to look again at church history, which tells us that John Mark wrote this gospel around the time the apostle Peter was killed, was martyred because of his faith in Jesus. And in those days, as people are being killed for following Jesus, it was natural then for people to ask the question, well, is all of this suffering we see normal? Is this what we should expect as followers of, believer, uh, followers of Jesus? What is it, exactly does it even mean to follow Jesus? Where is he taking us? What is a life of following Jesus going to look like for us as they, the original audience, wanted to follow Jesus in a fallen world? And these same questions are the ones that we are going to ask and answer over the course of this series together. But that's the main background. Now I want you to open up to Mark chapter 1, and we're going to take a look together this morning at verses 1 through 20. And our message today from the Gospel of Mark really is an invitation. It's a question we should all ask ourselves, and that is, are you ready to follow him even if following him seems just a little bit crazy? Are you ready to follow him even if, as we go through this series, what Jesus is going to ask of you is a little bit uncomfortable? In this passage this morning, verses 1 through 20, we're going to see three lessons about what it is to follow Jesus in a fallen world. Lesson number one, we're going to see in verses one through eight, is a lesson from John the Baptist. Then we're going to see in verses nine through 13, a lesson from Jesus. And finally, as we look at verses 14 through 20, we're going to see a lesson from the disciples themselves, all about following Jesus in a fallen world. So grab your Bible. Let me read for you first as we look at number one on your outline, this lesson from John the Baptist. Let me read for you to begin verses one through three. Mark chapter one says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Here John Mark, the author of the gospel, begins his gospel first by quoting the Old Testament. And what I want you to notice here in these verses that John Mark quotes from the Old Testament is the repetition of the word way, W-A-Y. Here he uses the Old Testament to show that John the Baptist is coming to prepare the way for Jesus. And this particular word, way, is a significant word in the Gospel of Mark. It's a word that John Mark uses to describe this idea of discipleship, of following Jesus. And what we see throughout the Gospel of Mark is that following Jesus is a journey. 
It's a way of life. And it's into that way that we, even the readers, are invited to follow. There's another repeated word I want you to notice in these opening verses, and it's the word wilderness. Look again at verse 3 and into verse 4. The voice, that's John the Baptist, of one crying in the wilderness. Make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John the Baptist appeared, notice, in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So here John the Baptist, as a good prophet, appears in the wilderness. I want you to, if you take notes in your Bible or take notes in your bulletin, just jot down that word wilderness. We're going to come back to it here in just a bit. But notice there in the wilderness, John the Baptist is preparing the people for the way of the Lord. He's preparing the people for the Messiah's arrival. And in verse 4, we're told that he preaches a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The ministry of John the Baptist was preparing people for the coming Messiah, and he was preparing them by baptizing them. That word baptize really does mean to immerse or to submerge. That's what John was doing. He was submerging people under the water. But notice his baptism was connected with this idea of repentance. Now, we talked all about repentance in our series of Lamentations, but let me remind you, quoting Dr. Charles Ryrie, that repentance is a change of mind that affects the life in some way. It's a change of mind that affects the life in some way. And notice the content of this repentance is also connected with the idea of the forgiveness of sins. So John appears in the wilderness. He begins baptizing people, calling them to repentance and forgiveness of their sins. Now you might think that John's message wasn't very popular, but notice what we read in verse eight or verse five. It says all the country of Judea was going out to him and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. And so, so we see here this multitude of people who are coming out, out into the wilderness to see John the Baptist, to hear his message, and we, we see that his message is met with a great response. He has a great impact. All kinds of people are being baptized by him in the Jordan River. They're confessing their sins. The text presents this just continual procession of people coming out to hear John the Baptist. They're getting ready for the arrival of the Messiah. It's an exciting scene. Even if John himself looks just a little bit crazy. Notice verse 6. John Mark tells us that John the Baptist, verse 6, was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and his diet was locusts and wild honey. I mean, when you look at the guy, he looks a little bit crazy, right? He's wearing prophet's attire. 
He's eating locusts and wild honey. But John the Baptist's appearance really speaks to his otherworldliness. He's of another mindset, of another world. And this really hints at the types of sacrifices we all have to have when we decide as well to follow Jesus on this trip of discipleship. Remember, as we follow Jesus in a fallen world, at times we might look just a little bit crazy to the watching world. I want you to notice John's message. Verses 7 and 8 says, He was preaching and saying, After me, one is coming who is mightier than I am, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. What I want you to notice here in the message of John the Baptist is that his message is ultimately centered on a person. John's message, his preaching, is ultimately centered on a person who John says is mightier than I, the coming one. And he says even there, I'm not fit to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandal. And by the way, untying the straps of someone's sandals was such a humiliating task in the first century that not even Hebrew slaves were asked to do it. But John here says, listen, I'm not fit, I'm not worthy to even stoop down and untie his sandals. John says, I baptize you with water. But the coming one, who's mightier than I, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. What I want you to see in the words of John the Baptist here, this is really lesson number one for us. As we see John's position of inferiority and servitude to the coming Messiah. The first lesson I want us to see here as we think about following Jesus in a fallen, a fallen world is that following Jesus begins by humbly acknowledging it's about his way, not my way. Following Jesus in a fallen world is so countercultural that it sometimes seems crazy. When we humbly acknowledge, we say, listen, Lord, I want to live my life according to your way and no longer according to my way. And so as we think about this lesson, let me ask you, are you ready to follow him? Are you ready to follow him humbly acknowledging that it's his way, not my way, that's the right way to live life? Are you ready to follow him? Somebody say yes. That's the first lesson. Now let's take a look at lesson number two as we look at a lesson from Jesus in Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. John Mark tells us, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. 
Here John Mark tells us and describes the event of Jesus' baptism. Just a, quick, a few quick observations I have for you. First of all, notice that Father, Son, and Spirit are all present here. You see Jesus in the waters. You see the Holy Spirit descending upon him. You hear the voice of God the Father from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son. Another observation I want you to take note of, we see there in verse 10, and that is the word immediately. Immediately is a favorite word of John Mark throughout the Gospel of Mark. We see here for the first time this word immediately is used and we see immediately the heavens are opened up or literally they're ripped apart and the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus and we hear that voice of God the Father in heaven immediately. Now the Gospel of Mark is a fast action gospel. We see just story after story after story coming in rapid succession. So Mark doesn't stop to offer much commentary or explanation. He just moves to the next event in Jesus' life. Notice verse 12, immediately the Spirit impelled him to go out into, notice, the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts and the angels were ministering to him. So again, take note of that word immediately that we see now for the second time. Take note of also the repeated word wilderness. We read that immediately after Jesus' baptism, the Spirit impels him to go out into the wilderness. What I want you to see linking these two episodes together is that the same Spirit who comes upon Jesus at his baptism is the same spirit that now impels Jesus, who drives Jesus out into the wilderness. So let's talk about that word wilderness for just a second. We saw that John the Baptist was out in the wilderness. Now we see Jesus is out in the wilderness. The wilderness was a dry, uninhabited region. The wilderness, it was believed, was a place of evil spirits and evil powers. It was a place of desolation, loneliness, danger, and even death. And noticed here in these verses, we see that Jesus is out in the wilderness, and there are wild beasts, verse 13, there with him. In Jewish thinking, wild beasts were associated with satanic hostility. This is a conflict narrative. Here Jesus is impelled by the Holy Spirit to go out into the wilderness where there are wild beasts. And notice he's there for 40 days being tempted, verse 13, by Satan. The Holy Spirit impels Jesus to go. But Satan is the one who is doing the testing. There really is this good versus evil conflict narrative going on here. These two opposing sides. You have Satan and the wild beasts on the one hand. But then you have the Holy Spirit and notice 
angels who were ministering to him on the other hand. So the Holy Spirit impels Jesus to go out into the wilderness to be there tempted by Satan. There's a lesson in this for us as well. In this conflict narrative, we see that Satan and his forces are in constant, intense conflict with God and with his purposes, especially the mission of Jesus. One of the lessons we can learn from these verses is that as we follow Jesus in a fallen world, we will certainly encounter satanic opposition. But we can also be assured of Holy Spirit enablement. When we follow Jesus in a fallen world, there will be spiritual attack. But God, by his Holy Spirit, will also provide enablement. So even when the spiritual attacks are significant from the enemy, my question for you this morning is, are you ready to follow him? That's the second lesson. Now let's take a look at the third a lesson from the disciples. Mark chapter 1. Let's look at verses 14 and 15 first. John Mark tells us there in verses 14 and 15, Now after John the Baptist had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Here we see, and we actually fast forward about a year chronologically. But what I want you to notice first is the change of scenery. Up until this point, we've been in the wilderness. John the Baptist was in the wilderness. Jesus was in the wilderness. And now we transition over to Galilee, and specifically in the next verse, to the Sea of Galilee. So we have a change in scenery, a change in context. And there in Galilee, Jesus begins preaching the gospel of God, verse 14. And Jesus' message has both a declaration as well as an invitation. His declaration is, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. See, Jesus came as the king and he's presenting himself as the king, and he's presenting the kingdom to the Jewish people. Now, as you read through the Gospel of Mark, what we'll sadly realize is that the Jewish people rejected the king, so the kingdom was postponed. But here, Jesus' declaration is that because the king has arrived, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. That's the declaration, so what's the invitation? The invitation is repent. Repent. And believe in the gospel. See, Jesus, just like John the Baptist, he's preparing people. He's calling them to repentance, to get ready for the arrival of the king. He's calling them to repent and he's calling them to believe in the gospel. So this is Jesus' message. Now let's see the response. And this is really our lesson the lesson from the disciples, starting in verse 16. As he, Jesus, was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. 
And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. So notice Jesus is traveling alongside the Sea of Galilee, and he sees there these two brothers, Simon and Andrew. These are men, by the way, that he's met before. He's encountered them before. Or they've encountered Jesus before. But on this particular day, Jesus extends to them an invitation. He says there in verse 17, follow me. Technically, come after me, which is an expression for discipleship. Jesus is inviting them to be his disciples. And notice In Jesus' invitation, there's also a promise, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Follow me, that's the invitation, and the promise is, I will make you become fishers of men. Now Jesus is speaking to fishermen, but he's also drawing upon imagery we see in the Old Testament where God is fishing for people. We see in the book of Isaiah, for example, that God is fishing for people out of the sea, and the sea, like the wilderness, was, in Jewish thinking, a place of death and destruction and chaos and sin. But Jesus here is inviting his disciples to be disciple-makers, to fish for people, to call them out, of the place of sin and death and judgment and invite them to follow Jesus as well. But what I want you to see is how these two brothers respond. Verse 18. Immediately. There's that word again. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Immediately, they abandoned their nets and followed him. What we see here in the response of the disciples is instant obedience and total abandonment. Instant obedience to the invitation of Jesus to follow him and total abandonment of what they had been doing. And in verses 19 and 20, we see this invitation extended, going on a little farther. Verse 19, he, Jesus, saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending the nets. Immediately, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went away to follow him. Once again, we see instant obedience and total abandonment. And that's the response that Jesus wants, even among us, his disciples today, even when what he asks might seem just a little bit crazy. Instant obedience to the way of Jesus, total abandonment from my old way of life. That's what Jesus is calling us to throughout the Gospel of Mark. And so once again, I ask you, are you ready to follow him? There's one more thing I want you to notice here in this invitation. Jesus invites these now 
two sets of brothers to follow him. And there in verse 17, remember, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. We're going to see throughout the Gospel of Mark that following Jesus includes being disciple makers, sharing our faith. If you were here last week, you might remember Dr. Ramesh Richard as he spoke and encouraged us to share our faith. One of the things he mentioned was this new initiative he's launching which he's calling Reach One, where he's calling and inviting every Christian over the course of the year to reach one person with the gospel. Every Christian sharing the gospel with one non-believer, inviting them to faith, to believe in Jesus. I love that idea. And just yesterday, here at Grace, we had a gospel conversations training And the report I hear is that we had over 50 people who attended that event. And at one particular time in this multi-hour event, they sent people out into the neighborhoods surrounding Grace Bible Church, knocking door by door and sharing the gospel with people. These 50-some-odd people who attended this event yesterday went neighborhood by neighborhood sharing the gospel. And I got to tell you some of the, the numbers that were reported back to me There were 39 people who were prayed for. There were 29 people who heard the gospel. Seven people expressed an interest to hear more. And three people came to faith in Jesus just yesterday. Isn't that awesome? Uh, And I also heard this morning that one of the groups that went out, a lady answered the door and just started screaming at them. And uh, she kind of put horns up and wagged her tongue at them. Again, back to point number two on your outline. There will be spiritual opposition. Make no mistake about it. It seems a little crazy. But that's what Jesus calls us to when he calls us to follow him. So this is Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 20. Three lessons we see about following Jesus in a fallen world. There's one more thought I have for you that I want you to be aware of as we work through the Gospel of Mark. In every account, in every story, in every passage in the Gospel of Mark, there's another person here who's an unnamed person, but they are eyewitnesses of the entire thing, and it's you, the reader, You, the reader of the Gospel of Mark, are invited along with Jesus' disciples to come and to follow after him in this journey of discipleship. My hope, my prayer for every one of us, myself included, is that as we journey through the Gospel of Mark together, we are invited week after week, step by step, to follow just a little bit more closely with Jesus. With each new generation of disciples who read the Gospel of Mark, the question is asked, are you ready to follow him? Are you ready to follow him? For some of you, perhaps here this morning or watching online, as you think about Jesus, the first question you really need to ask is, have you believed in him? Have you put your faith, your trust in him? 
See, this journey of discipleship can't begin until first you've put your faith, your trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins. And if you've never done that, if you've never trusted in Jesus, I want to give you the opportunity, the invitation here this morning, here in this room or watching online, to put your faith in him, your trust in him. You can leave this room knowing that you're forgiven, you're redeemed, never to be forsaken. And if you have put your faith in Jesus, the invitation I have for you this morning really is to follow him, to live for him. Even if the things he asks us to do throughout the Gospel of Mark might seem a little bit crazy, my prayer for you and for me is that God would give us the ability to follow him no matter what he asks, no matter how crazy it might seem. And so there on the backside of your outline, I've given you some application questions And your one thing for this week is simply this, to ask yourself that question. Are you ready to follow him? Are you ready to follow him? And I'd ask that you pray that God would use this sermon series in the Gospel of Mark to bring about spiritual growth in your life, to reveal areas of sin, to strengthen you in obedience to him, and to encourage further disciple-making as well. And so let me ask you one more time, are you ready to follow him? Somebody say yes? Yes. Yes, all right. I'm excited to go through this journey with you through the Gospel of Mark. I promise you that at times Jesus is going to call you to do some crazy things. But I hope we come back to these three lessons, a lesson from John the Baptist a lesson from Jesus himself, a lesson from the disciples, and even a lesson from my son Judah. (laughs) Even if it seems a bit crazy, at least we will be with him. Are you ready to follow him? Let's pray. Father, we do confess that often we live our lives my way. We often try to live our life according to our own standards and according to our own preferences. So forgive us, Father. Father, we thank you that not only have you freely forgiven us by the death and resurrection of your Son, but we thank you that you also invite us to follow him. And we humbly ask, Father, just like John the Baptist, that we would live life your way, not our way. Father, we ask that as we encounter spiritual battles along the way, your spirit would encourage us and equip us as we follow Jesus. And Father, we ask that just like the disciples, we would respond with instant obedience, with total abandonment. Jesus, we ask that wherever you're taking us on this journey, even if it seems a bit crazy at times, Can we just be with you? Help us to know the joy of living in obedience to you. Create within us a longing for holiness and help us to follow you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we ask and we pray. Amen.